You're listening to Radio Influence. You are sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of City Ringside. My name is David Penzer, and we are so happy, as we always are, to have you here to listen to this thing we call a podcast. And a little trip for down memory lane for me. Anybody who knows my story, and I'm not going to retell the entire thing, but uh, anybody who knows my story knows that if it wasn't for a guy named Bob Roop, who was a uh, legitimate shooter, as they say, four-time national AAU All-American champion in college and member of the wrestling team for the 68 Olympics in Mexico City. If it wasn't for him and and meeting up with him in uh, Global Wrestling Alliance and him taking me under his wing, buying the wrestling ring when the company went bankrupt and promoting indie shows and driving up and down the road, hearing his wisdom and the stories, some of which he'll tell on this podcast because he is the guest this week. And then going to bat for me, what I didn't even realize was a business where nobody really goes to bat for anybody because if if it doesn't work out, they get the heat. So I didn't even realize that at the time. I just it was like, gee, he's actually keeping his word, you know, because, you know, it's easy to say, yeah, I'll put in a good word for you, kid, and then go up to a WCW as a new agent and you know, say, hey, I tried. And that's what I figured was going to happen. Nothing against him. He's a straight up guy. And just to give you some context of the interview you're about to hear, he's also one of the most intelligent wrestlers that I've ever met. He's very well scholared. He knows a lot about a lot of things. Uh, he studies and reads daily and has his whole life. And so, you know, I'm not calling anybody, not saying anything, anything negative about anybody else, but there's several people that I've encountered in the business that really put a different perspective into things. It's funny that these two have crossed paths several times. One of them is Kevin Sullivan, who we've had on the podcast many times and who is very insightful when it comes to sports history and world history and, and comparing things to uh, theology and, and religion in the, the past not only years, but centuries and longer. I find Bob to be that way too. So it's a different type of interview that you're going to hear. He talks about his uh, career. We talk a little bit about uh, the Olympics. We talk a little bit about Dusty Rhodes. Talk a little bit about uh, different territories. Uh, him having the reputation for uh, trying to take territories. And then a little bit about a uh, little uh, disagreement with himself and, and Ron Fuller over the Knoxville territory way back in the 70s that for reasons you will hear is actually relevant today. So looking forward to it. And again, owe him a huge debt of gratitude. Jody Hamilton, God bless him, took tagged in when Bob made the introduction. But without that introduction, Jody had nobody to tag and I'd never been able to live my dream. So it's my honor right now to be able to talk to a man who I consider family and who allowed me to live my dream. I worked my ass off, don't get me wrong, to make it happen once I got my foot in the door. But uh, And not to sound cocky, but my foot wouldn't have gotten in the door without this person. So I'll always be eternally grateful. And that person is four-time national AEU All-American amateur wrestler and member of the 68 Olympic team, former rest pro wrestler, former booker, and future author uh, about a very interesting time where he went to Iraq to wrestle for Saddam Hussein, but we'll get into that more later on. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Bob Roop. 
Ladies and gentlemen, this week on City Rankside, I am really excited to have on a special guest. If anybody knows my story, and if you listen to this podcast, you probably do. You know that uh, there's a few people that I owe uh, my entry into the wrestling business uh, to, and no one bigger than my guest this week. He is a four-time national AAU All-American amateur wrestler, member of the 1968 Olympic team, and uh, my old friend who did me right when most people wouldn't. I'm talking about Bob Roop, uh, also a 20-plus uh, year, 30-year business uh, uh, foray in the wrestling business, and uh, Booker, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about it all. Uh, I know that you, uh, you your life is an amazing story, and I know you you're writing a book on it. So we don't want to give too much of it away. But hey, Bob, welcome to City Ringside. Finally, what took you so well, long? Thank you, Dave. What a nice introduction. Thank you very much. No, no, no. I mean, you you left. Uh, you know, just to remind you, I'm sure you knew. You know, you, you we we were promoting indie shows together. Uh, Luna Vachon was oh, yeah. was beaten, was stretching me in the locker room at the flea market, and uh, <laughs> yeah. and you you got a call from Ole Anderson. He said, you know, who was a uh, uh, always a confidant of uh, you were always a confidant of his, and uh, and and correct me if I if this, I'm telling the story wrong, but I think I got it right. It's only my career. Um, and uh, <laughs> and uh, and so you said you told me, hey, I, we're not going to be doing these anymore because I'm going to work as an agent for Oli and WCW. And I said in passing, hey, if you could help me out in any way, please do. And you said, sure. And I thought to myself, especially in the wrestling business, you know, Bob, I've looked back not to blow smoke up your ass, but, you know, hey. Uh, you deserve it. Oh, yeah. But, 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 you know, I did what it's so many things you don't know until you spend 20 years or 10 years in this business. Uh, not only were you, not only by, by doing me the, the favor that you did and hooking me up with Jody Hamilton and getting my foot in the door, not only did you, did you, uh, do me a favor that most people wouldn't do, but you took a chance because in this business, if you put somebody over and they screw up, then the people that the, the person who put them over, they and I didn't know that at the time. Come looking at you and say, "Why'd you tell? Why'd you put this person over? This person fucked up." You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. Well, when I when I when I when I pushed for you to, you know, I mean, they needed to, there was a position that needed to be filled. And when I pushed for you, uh, I had confidence that I, I knew you were a go-getter. And uh, I don't want to say hustler, but you hustled to try to better yourself. And so I knew that you would be happy to do it. I knew you could do it. I knew you were intelligent. I knew that you would figure out, you know, how to make it work. And uh, so, uh, you know, yeah, I was glad to do it. Uh, I, I thought what you were going to say was that a lot of guys make promises. to Well, you know, that, hey, that too. That part too. I mean, that's 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 human life. But the thing in the wrestling business is when you go out and you and I know this because I've had to do it. When you put somebody over, if 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 it comes back to haunt you, people let you remember it. They don't let you forget it. Well, yeah, but uh, I, you know, I didn't feel like I was taking that much of a chance on you because well, I, pr I appreciate. I don't know, you'd always been dependable before. I don't know why you're going to change. In fact, think about it this way, Dave. When we were doing our shows, we weren't making a lot of money down there running those independent shows. You were going to have a chance to be making not like serious money, although you eventually, you know, worked your way up the ladder to where you became a ring announcer. And I'm sure you're being paid decently anyway. Uh, but, um, you know, that was an opportunity for you to make money every week. 
uh, you know, bringing the guys up from Florida and, and make yourself a few bucks. And you took that. Uh, it wasn't. I didn't volunteer for you there. I didn't su- suggest that they take you to to well make yourself available to ring the bell and then to slowly work your way to where you end up being the guy. Uh, if I had still been working, would have been in the ring in a tuxedo announcing my match sure. instead of the guy that was just bringing uh, bringing. To, I mean, I say just what you were doing was important. No, but I, I was I, I, I'm very honest about the fact that I was a stooge. I mean, I ran around, I broke, I ran and, and I'm not embarrassed by that. I, I ran guys for interviews. I, I had signed in the you know, I had the sign in sheet that had the uh, that had everybody had to sign uh, to uh, indemnify them uh, from letting them be on TV. And uh, it's funny because now that WWE has a network and all these guys that used to wrestle in WCW and uh, at the tapings and they are like, I never signed anything. I see them online. I never signed anything that said I could be on the WWE network and they didn't have to pay me. I said, remember, I, and I reached out to some of them. I said, remember that little sheet that I used to I used to walk around with that had all that little writing at the top and you had to sign it to get paid? They're like, yeah. I'm like, that little writing at the top that said they could use you. Anybody who owns it. Could use you on TV in perpetuity and not pay you a dime. They're like, oh shit. So, <laughs> so I was well, thinking. Let's go back. Let's go back to the stooge thing for a minute. In the, in the business, <laughs> to me, a stooge, a stooge was a guy that had to get over by flattery and 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 basically kissing butt. Well, I kissed that. I kissed a little butt. You I'm were, not. I'm not going to lie well, to you. I you kissed were, a little butt. Well, you volunteered to be helpful. Yeah, yeah. If you yeah. volunteered to go get run an errand for somebody, I mean, you were available to do it. If it was Jody Hamilton, it was running a major television production show, you know, two or three shows. Uh, he was busy. If he asked you to go get something for it, uh, it wasn't because you were standing there, you know, uh, uh, fanning with a big fan or something. It was because you were available to do it. And that's not being stooge. That's being... Uh, you know that's be and that's not, and that's like if you had been bringing Jody a bottle of whiskey every week or you know some crap like that that's kind of stoogy but no you were you were uh, now you were low level when you started but so what that's so was I yeah. when I started I mean I had a I had the Olympic reputation but as far as being a pro I I didn't mean anything well, I mean my amateur background maybe seemed like I would be uh, you know, a formidable opponent if pro wrestling was real. But, you know, because we were working, as I didn't know how to work. So I was at the very bottom of the totem pole. I mean, I was like, if it was in the Army, I was like a private who just enlisted, hadn't even begun yeah. the basic training yet. But in those so, days, in, in those days, though, uh, the amateur uh, background and the amateur success really got you uh, a lot of more respect. Like, for example, I'm sure that when you were training, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm sure when when you were training and starting out with Eddie Graham and Matsud and some of the guys that that used to stretch some of the the other guys. Uh, and you have a story about that. We'll talk about it in a little bit. But um, I'm sure that they didn't weren't stretching you like, you know, they're stretching everybody else because you could stretch them right yeah yeah so so you did you did you did enter at a higher level than some jabroni off the street for sure um hey i have a question i never thought to ask you so i'm going to ask you uh you were in the olympics uh in uh 1968 it was in mexico city and um you know there's all this talk now about 
Now, 68 was a long time ago, but if you talk about debauchery, 68 was a kind of debauchery time because of the hippies and the Woodstock and, and the Vietnam War and all that stuff. You, now you hear about all the debauchery and the, you know, orgies and stuff in the, in the athletes' quarters in the, um, uh, of the uh, Olympics, uh, how everybody hooks up with everybody and all that. Was there any of that that you could talk about going on in, the, in 68 in Mexico City? Well, if it was, I wasn't, you know, we weren't involved with it. Uh, Good answer. They were still, they didn't do co-ed. They didn't do co-ed. There were no, our building, I know that we had, uh, on our floor, we had the weightlifters and the wrestlers. And I don't remember any girls in our building anywhere. Now, there was a common meeting area, meet and greet area behind those buildings where, athletes from all over the world could come and mangle you go you know it was a large area where you could mangle and i met i was just, uh, always happy i met russians and our countries had been in a cold war for 30 years and threatened to blow each other uh, off the face of the earth with nuclear weapons and the russian wrestlers were some of the friendliest guys uh, i ever met and you know we mangled in the meat and breed and there wasn't any booze there was but I don't remember. You know what? I tell you the truth. I don't remember even speaking to a girl the whole time I was at the Olympics. And I was married, and I was kind of, I don't know, socially backward. A lot of amateur athletes are, especially wrestlers. But um, I uh, no, as far as those origins, if they were going on, I didn't know about it. And there's nothing in my history of meeting former Olympians or anything uh, – in fact, I'll tell you uh, uh, some more. This is more of a, what I'm telling you. Is this is more of a modern thing because um, one of my teammates was a California surfer dude, uh, teammates from college, who he made a 72 team. And I went to Munich to watch the games, and I wrestled over there as a pro uh, in Germany and through, Europe, through England and Ireland and all that. But um, I talked to him. Uh, I saw him, I went and worked out with him, uh, before the, the Greco Roman competition. And I talked to him a little bit, you know, we've gone to college and been teammates for two or three years. And there was none of that. He was dating a girl, but it was an American Olympian, but there was no, there was no talks of, of orgies that now. Yeah. They say, they say now that they hand out, they have like boxes of, uh, condoms in the, in the, the, the social areas that, uh, that and they go through like boxes of them at a time. I I just find it interesting because you know you think of these Olympic athletes and you you know working so hard and 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 their whole lives to 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 get to that point and then you hear that they're going through condoms like like it's diet coke and uh uh just it, it, it I don't know kind of it kind of interests me in a bizarre way but uh I thought I'd ask you about it. Hey um well go ahead. one one last word on that perhaps uh, most of the condom use is after someone's competed. Yeah, I think that's you know, it. I mean, yeah, they, that's it. They run their, they run their, whatever their event is, swimming, whatever, they're through. Now they can enjoy it. You know, they're still there for a week or two. If they are on the first week, they got two or three more weeks down there. That, you know, they don't, they're not going home. That's exactly, exactly. So that would be the time when the, the, the playing around would take place. But I don't see, I don't see a lot of people giving up their competitive edge. Uh, beforehand and and when you're sexually depleted uh you're not at top you're not you're you're not you don't have all your your factors that you have uh back in your performance 
that's why they don't let boxers uh, cohabit even with their wives, you know, a couple, three weeks before a fight. And it makes sense. Uh, it is a, it's, a, it's, a, it's been proven uh, scientifically that it is a detriment. In some cases, if an athlete is really, really hyper tense and is hurting them, then something like that might be helpful to a, a minimal degree. You know, you don't want the guy to go and, you know, destroying himself or go on a bacchanal where he can't do anything for three or four days. Uh, but anyway, no, I, I don't, I'm sorry. I'm an old, I'm not a prude, but um, I've, I've been out of the game, uh, you know, for, for a long time. And, and in a lot of ways, if I, if you get older, uh, I, I wrote uh, our common friend, Red Roberts. Um, uh, this is kind of personal. It's not too gross. It's kind of personal, but uh, we're, we're, we're texting back and forth about uh, Shakira and J-Lo at the halftime of the Super Bowl. Oh, and I just, I had said that uh, J-Lo looked great for an older, I know she's older. Yeah. I said she looked great. And he said, he said, uh, yeah, that I don't think I turned down either one of them. And I said, well, uh, J-Lo looked look great. I said, Shakira, uh, I say she hasn't, she hasn't uh, been able, she, she wasn't able to restart my sex drive but she at least put me back into neutral gear. <laughs> and because, uh, uh, yeah, there were a couple of, you know, a couple of very attractive, sexy women, and they were shaking it. I mean, what are, what are you doing when you're strutting around the stage with your legs spread and shaking it and, and do a shaking your, your boobs and all that? I mean, it's not burlesque, but it's just that's the best of style. There were people you that know. weren't very happy with that. They said their kids were. They were offended because their kids. I'm like, it, it, it was exactly what. I'm not a fan of J Lo or Shaquilla for 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 any, uh, you know, their music. But it's exactly when I heard that they were going to have a J Lo and Shakira do a Super Bowl show in Miami. Weird Latin, you know, flavor is exactly what I thought sure. it was going to be. Anybody who thought that it was going to be a tame version of the of of Air Supply, uh, you know, singing a couple songs and uh, you know, without without dancing and doing stuff, and uh, so I don't get that. And but hey, t- twenty plus years ago, Prince did a pretty sexually charged uh, uh, Super oh, Bowl yeah. halftime show, and nobody said a word. But because these women are doing it, I don't want to get into politics and not politics, but but politically correct stuff because I, I i can't talk about stuff like that because i end up burying myself still see bob i still bury myself all these years later um so so yeah anyway but you're you're just to put a period at the end of the sentence you were exactly right though as far as you know talking about the debauchery it's it's when they're done with the uh it's when they're done with their 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 games it's not i didn't want to give yeah. the i didn't want to uh give the impression that that they're going out there and blowing blowing that they're going out there and blowing their chance <laughs> blowing their chance at a gold medal they once they get their gold medal that's when the fun starts but um yeah so Throwing away the opportunity. Exactly. Oh, I see how this is going to go. So, so you started under Eddie Graham, and there's a famous video that came out. Got, you had a couple of videos that came out later in your uh, in your lifetime that uh, sort of uh, 
was unusual. Uh, but this one uh, came out in social media and showed you stretching a guy. I know we, you know, you know the stories. We've talked about the stories on this podcast with different guests: J.J. Dillon, Kevin Sullivan, uh, Terry Funk, and different Dory Funk. Different people talking about how uh, Eddie liked to, you know, bring the the you know guys off the street who would come say they wanted to be a wrestler into the sportatorium and and have somebody you know uh stretch them around and and break an arm or something and i think even hulk hogan got his leg broken the first time that he walked into the sportatorium i I remember i think you told me the stories about how gordon nelson used to uh dress up as the as the um as the uh uh a cleaning person, janitor. the janitor. Yeah. yeah. And he'd, he'd yeah. have like a broom and stuff. And they'd like, you know, Gordon Nelson's as much of a shoot guy as you can get and go and, and, uh, old school England shoot guy. And, uh, so he, you know, and he would, uh, they'd say, Oh, you think he could beat the janitor? And then he'd just destroy him. Anyway, long story short, the video came out. Tell, tell me about those days. What was Eddie trying to accomplish? And I know that you've, uh, you've basically said that you, you know, you feel remorse about uh, being put in a position where you kind of had to do that and you kind of let the guy off the hook, but kind of go over your thought process on that, that video when it came out. Well, I never, all I shot was, uh, I mean, I had shoot matches with probably, I don't know, three dozen people, uh, during my time there. And, and, uh, I mean, one night in Tampa, I took on four guys, I think the one, I mean, of course, one at a time, but but it was it, when it was it, it was different. If you're starting on your feet, there was another deal where I, I put the sugar hold on this this hold that very one guy got out of it, but 99 out of 100 never did. And they started out that way, and there was no way anybody was gonna, especially big guys, were not gonna get away from that. But when you start on your feet, with these guys in the sportatorium, um, we start on our feet, and it's dangerous. They try to uh, poke me in the eye or you know, go for uh, low blows, uh, scratch, bite, kick, whatever they could do. And uh, especially when I was putting, you know, I was trying to get them to submit or something. And that's why when I learned that sugar hold, that was such a blessing because that put a guy out. And once he was out, um, I mean, there was never a guy that once he was out, that once you woke him up, wanted to continue. So that that kind of ended it. And also, after doing it a few times, I mean, three or four times, <clears throat> I uh, I didn't want to do it anymore. And not Graham, Eddie Graham never did this. Uh, Buster Welch and Buddy Fuller, um, I hate to talk about them because they're gone, but both of them just casually told me, break this guy's leg. And this was at the house shows one time. One, one was in Jacksonville. And Lester Welch just said, break this guy's leg. And uh, I wasn't going to do it. I, I wouldn't do it. The guy, the film that you saw, or the video you saw that made it on the internet, uh, I had that guy in there for about 15 minutes. I, what I did is I may have cracked his wrist. I could have broken his leg. I could, I could have done that. I could have, I could have ended it immediately by breaking something. But I wasn't going to do it because I, as an amateur wrestler, you don't do those things. Right. If you do, you're a bum. You're, you you just take your amateur. What you do is you violate the ethical code of being an amateur wrestler and every other amateur in the world who has any class to look at you and go, "Way to go, Bob! You use all your Olympian, you use all that experience to get some guy who can't wrestle his way out of a jockstrap." And, and I, I bet you're real proud of yourself. You broke the guy's leg. Good for you, Bob. 
you know, if you want to go medal any kind, you ought to take your all American championships and give them back. Yeah, it's like being a, it's like anti-Semitic. it's like being a bully, you know. Yeah, exactly. The deal was the deal with the sportatorium was uh, it was freak. Eddie hated the guys that had been trained. Ronnie West, Ronnie Hill had a school down there in Florida somewhere, and he would train guys, and he didn't run shows, so he had no place to put them to work. So he sent them over to Tampa. There was uh, Billy Blue Rivers had a thing going. His wife, Beverly Shade, and I were inducted into the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame together in, out in uh, Wichita Falls last year. And um, I got, got to know her real well. We talk, <laughs> we talk, we, uh, we, we talk about those days. And, uh, oh, God, Eddie hated them because, you know, he, he, um, he wanted, you know, he wanted a monopoly on the business. And then, when you saw other people, sometimes there'd be talent that, you know, wasn't that great that would kind of expose the business. And then he would have to be talking to an executive of some kind who would say, hey, I saw this show over there with these Blue River people. Oh, man, that's that so, so fake, isn't it? You know, Eddie, Eddie, uh, Eddie had, had back to those days, these guys had this pathological, um, I mean, almost psychotic uh, uh, kayfabe. Don't let anybody know. I mean, if, if you have to get shot or stabbed, uh, uh, still go ahead and do that. Get shot and stabbed, but don't ever say it's not real. And I, you know, I thought that was uh, I thought that was kind of ridiculous because whenever in that not to interrupt you in that vein, uh, it's funny. Whenever I have a, we've done this for two plus years every week almost. And whenever I have a second or third generation uh, wrestler on the first, my first question is always, when did you get smartened up? You know, because it's always interesting to find out, uh, you know, uh, most of these guys, you know, grew up their whole childhood and they might have suspected some stuff because of, you know, what they saw, might have saw with their dad. But, and, and, you know, back in those days, you didn't even smarten your kids up. No, he didn't. And, and a lot of guys, uh, a lot of guys that uh, that did that, that, that pretended that even with their own family, they'd come home and lay on the couch like they were hurt. And I just and they tell their their kayfabe their wives too. Wow. Well, it ruined their marriages. Uh, when they found out that oh, that okay, all those years you were fooling us, you were making, and the kids were crying because daddy's hurt, and, and the wife was worried because you know is he going to be able to make a living? Well, maybe they even love the guy. And, you know, my husband's hurt and all that. And you know that was a that was a kind of insult. You're talking about having intimacy, you know, between a man and a woman, and you don't you don't be honest with her about your actual physical health and have her worried that you really are hurt and putting all that stress on them. That's no, a point. That's was, a point that cool. nobody's ever brought up in all the time that I've done this. It's an interesting point that it, that's that's a sure way to kill a relationship and the trust in a relationship is to find out that uh, that everything you've been doing for the last ten, fifteen, twenty, however many two years, it doesn't matter, uh, is is has been a, a, a total work uh, and and you didn't include your spouse in on it. So that's an interesting point I never well, heard brought up. Well, it shows such a lack of respect for your wife. Sure, I mean you. You you don't respect her enough. I mean, what, she going to go out and blab to the, or think about it this way, looking at it from a psychological point of view. You didn't want your wife to know that you were working because you didn't feel like you had enough manhood or whatever. And, and being, even though what you were doing was in a sense, you were being an actor, 
but an athletic actor, you know, and a psychological actor. In order to be good, you had to have a lot of qualities that had nothing to do with being a, a jock. Had to be a psychologist and a you know to have guts too, especially heels to go out there and get heat to the point where people are ready to throw chairs in the ring. I mean, you had to have guts. So there's all these things that even though it was um, a, an act, I mean, you were you were putting on a morality play. You did it to the point sometimes where you know you had to walk back and you need police protection to get out of there. Sure. And that was good in a sense that if you didn't get to the point of riot, riot was always bad because people got hurt and you lost business. Uh, older folks and kids, who, people who brought their kids wouldn't bring them again because it was dangerous. People running around, chairs falling over and all that. And the older folks would quit coming because it was dangerous for them too. So riots were totally, you know, I never, I booked, I don't know, several years in total, four, five, six years. And I never tried to do anything that, that brought stuff to a riot stage because it was just bad for business. But some people, oh, you got to have a riot to really get over. No, you don't because, um, you know, you know, when the lawsuits come, they shoot, they not only sue you, the wrestling company, they sue the building too. It's a good way to lose the lose your uh, the use of the building. They get a fifty million dollar lawsuit against them because something you did in their on their premises. Uh, you know, you're not going to be real welcome. So it was just really stupid business. But back to the guys that kayfabe their family, just uh, morally uh, morally just reprehensible. Uh, if they didn't feel like they had enough respect, just being the person who was going out there and pretending to be tough, well. Then I guess they didn't think that much of themselves, did they? Yeah, um, that's a good point. I didn't want my I didn't want my family and friends to think I was the person I pretended to be. Uh, I mean, I when I was healing down there, I tried to get heat by pretending to be superior and this arrogant. Uh, you know, Dusty Rhodes is beneath me. His father was a ditch digger, and look at me. You know, my father was a college professor, PhD, and. I had the best coaches and all that. And I tried to create a kind of a class difference there to get people, because most of the people watching, they were they were, they were probably closer to the ditch digger thing or somewhere in the sure. middle between this elite, this elitism I was trying to portray. And that gets some serious heat. The thing I did with Kern about his father being a coward, I had people pull, pull guns on me. I, I walked into the armory in Miami one night, or not the armory, but the, Convention Center, and we were we were at a at the small uh, there was a small auditorium there, and the big place was booked or something. So we were, and so you parked across the street, and there there were no cops out there. And I got there, and there was a guy in a, a fatigue jacket, we uh, rolling around by the cars. And I walked by, and I hear this click. I turn around, this guy's got one of those forty five pistols, a classic. 1911-45 that used the military used. He's got it cocked and pointed at my head. He said, I'll blow your head off. And uh, I'm standing about, I don't know, seven, eight feet away from him. Oh, man. I just turned and walked away from him. I don't know what you're going to do. He's going to shoot you. He's going to shoot you. Uh, I, uh, uh, you know, but you talk about scaring the crap out of me. Yeah, yeah sure. I mean, anybody said, anybody said they aren't scared? Well, they're, they're, they've got a problem. they got a serious mental problem because... That, that's the kind of stuff you should be scared at. So, you know, that's some serious heat. Hey, and, well, well, you were you were ahead of your time though, because uh, the, if I remember the angle correctly, uh, he was uh, Kern's dad was a POW in Vietnam, 
And um, and and I think you said something to the effect of, and correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, uh, you know, heroes, hero, here, uh, he's not a hero because heroes don't get captured or something like that. And you were way ahead of your time because, like, thirty four, thirty five years later, a guy running for president of the United States would steal the same, steal the same uh, playbook. Yeah, exactly. I just like history <laughs> repeating stuff. Yeah, I don't consider him. Yeah, he said about McCain. I don't consider him a hero. He got captured. Yeah. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to talk politics on the show. I just. No, I find it funny. And, and Dutch Mantel tells a story about when he was doing the Zeb Coulter gimmick, and um, uh, he was you know basically doing a uh, Make America Great Again uh, gimmick, kind of quasi anti uh, uh, anti immigration and. Uh, he did a WrestleMania and uh, the metal and not the Meadowlands, the big, uh, the uh, big uh, football stadium and Trump and his kids were in a skybox. And when Trump walk uh, came back to go through the, the back to uh, leave the show, he stopped Dutch. Dutch told the story on the podcast. He stopped Dutch and told Dutch, love the, love the gimmick, love the gimmick. And so he, he, Dutch always says it was, uh, uh, that, that he basically Zeb Coulter was, uh, Donald Trump was Zeb Coulter on steroids. So he took a little bit of, took a little bit of your gimmick with Steve Kern's dad, a little bit of Dutch's gimmick. And now he's president of the United States. Who'd have thunk it? But I don't want to talk politics. Hey, um, Bob, tell me, talk to me about working with Dusty Rhodes. When you got to work with Dusty Rhodes, he had just, within the year had turned and and i know people can't understand really i guess they could maybe if you you know if you look back to like goldberg when he got hot uh or stone cold steve austin or the rock when they got hot but that was dusty Rhodes in florida he turned babyface and and could cut an amazing promo and had so much charisma i mean he, he you know i remember i grew up in fort lauderdale and we had the little matches every friday at the armory and uh it held like a thousand people and if dusty wrestled there i think once or twice a year and when dusty was announced during intermission the tickets would sell out before intermission was over I mean, you had to be at the yeah. show. You had to be at the show to hear that Dusty was going to be there to be able to get a ticket because everybody would just uh, would would buy as many tickets as they could. Talk talk to me about working with him at the height like that. Well, uh, yeah, he was uh, he was he was over. I mean, he was hot. Only thing I ever saw like it was Junkyard Dog in Louisiana uh, in seventy in uh, eighty two and eighty three. Yeah, I was there a year, and he was uh, he was hot like Dusty. Told out everywhere. But um, the problem with guys like Dusty, uh, when you're working with them, uh, you can't do programs. You can't go like 10, well, like Kern and I did, I don't know, three or four months. I did a program with Rocky Johnson at six months in Orlando. I did three or four month program every week with Terry Funk in West Palm Beach. You can't do that with Dusty. Dusty had to, Dusty had to uh, beat you. Uh, if you did two, if you did one comeback match with him, now if someone had some serious heat, uh, long established star, uh, they would they would work out combinations. They'd make they'd work into a tag thing, or you know, come back with a special match or whatever, uh, like a bull rope or something. But um, I used the expression, Dusty used to uh, eat heels like a uh, normal person would eat uh, M M&M and peanuts. And as an example, one night in, in the Jackie Gleason building in Miami, he was wrestling superstar Billy Graham. Now that's a that's that's a uh, you know that's a pretty formidable uh, opponent right there. 
at the end of the match, after he beat Billy, um, and I think they did this to make so there could be a comeback, uh, a return with Billy Graham. Gary Hart had an army of me, Dick Slater, Dick Murdoch, uh, Pac Song, a couple of Korean guys or Samoan guys. I, I apologize to them. If the, I don't remember their names, they were, but they were a tag team. They weren't like Alpha and Seeker or anybody like that. Um, there was, there was, oh, and Ox Baker. There was uh, like six or seven. And a couple of these guys were major guys, you know. They ran every one of us in. Now, if we had any smarts, of course, we'd all run in together. But that, of course, wrestling business is nonsensical. We ran in into the ring after Dusty already beat Billy Graham. Every one of us ran in there to attack him. And he had every one of us. He gave us that elbow. And we took a bump out the other side. Then here comes the next guy. Bump, you know. He 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 he, he, he beat us. He gave that elbow to all seven of us, and we slumped back to the dressing room. And then I guess at the last, Billy uh, Dusty had worn out his elbow, and Billy whacked him a couple of times, and then Dusty ran him off. But it gave Billy some heat back right. to uh, to you know be able to come back and draw a house again the next week. Well, to me, I mean, it's a book I would have never done that. Uh, no. I would have never killed all my heels. He, you know, I might have sent, I might have sent five or six underneath guys in there uh, at the same time. You know, not one at a time, at the same time, and have them overwhelm them a little bit, and then have them make a big comeback. But because you wouldn't be hurting those guys that bad, you'd actually get more heat on the younger guys because they even tried it. Uh, but um, I, I would never kill my heat, heat of all my heels like that. But Dusty was so hot. The heel didn't have to have a lot of heat. I was going to say. I, I, I was going to say that the, the the thing about that is, and you could say you could say the psychology is messed up, but the thing about it is, is it's they sold out every week. <laughs> Did it make a difference? And no. I guess the thought process probably was they had never really seen that uh, anybody that had gotten so hot and 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 could cut a, such a promo in the business. This was before guys like Flair and. And, and you know Billy Graham was a great promo, of course, but uh, it's sort of a di- the start of a new era in the pro wrestling business from uh, the '60s and early '70s to more uh, pop and circumstance. And um, and and the feeling might have been if that you know if they get too much heat on Dusty or if he gets beat, you know nobody wants to come back. Which we know in wow. hindsight, we know in hindsight isn't really the way the wrestling works because they people want to come back and see you if you get screwed and you get people want to see you uh to you know come back and get your heat and and, you know you know get revenge but at the time they were so successful doing what they were doing they would probably like you know hey we're doing what we're doing and it's working so why screw with the formula well yeah if you're selling out there's no reason to change anything and i don't now i said i wouldn't book that way i'm not saying that what they did was wrong I was just saying I wouldn't do it that way. Yeah. But what they did worked. Now, personally, as working with Dusty myself, uh, like I say, uh, he would uh, he would uh, he would eat every bit of heat I had in the towns I worked with him. Uh, fortunately, I was uh, I was being pushed, and I was I had to, I think I was a Florida champion. I had enough heat to uh, to you know uh, be able to start a program or an angle with somebody else. So within a week or two, I could build my heat back. But I'll tell you Dusty's story, and it, it explains his frame of mind. He was at a, on a plane, at least in his own mind, and he was. We both agree, admitted it. 
he was on a plane as a superstar. You're talking about guys like uh, Gorgeous George, uh, Buddy Rogers, uh, you know, and then after him, Hulk Hogan and uh, guys that, you know, one, one, in, one, one in every generation, in a generation kind of. So, you know, he was a, you know, he was a superstar. He was like a Nova. Well, uh, uh, I worked with him. We did the thing. We go on a kind of circle here. Uh, he came on TV. I, I came up with the angle. Uh, he took back, in fact, it was my Olympic yearbook, you know, or you know, the book they give you if, if you remember the Olympic team. He came on TV with a book, and uh, I, I, you know, I provided it to him. Sure. The, the promotion. And he got with Gordon. I was out there wrestling somebody else, I think, and he came out there with the book, and he said, look here in the record book, Bob Brook took seventh place. He's no Olympic champion. And actually, I was doing it for a reason. I wanted to get, I wanted to quit calling me Olympic champion because my my wrestling, my amateur wrestling friends uh, disrespected me for it. So um, uh, uh, as a result of that, I got all mad and challenged him to come in the rank. He ended up not only I think uh, he ended up uh, leaving me laying, and he tore up the book. He tore pages out of the book. The page was beyond it and threw everything down on my face and left me laying in the ring on TV. That's to start the angle. <laughs> he me yeah, that's to start it. That, I mean, that was the kind of stature the guy had. Well, we had a, we had one match in Jacksonville, and uh, it was cold because the tape of that angle I'm just talking about, Jacksonville was on a week delay because the tape – was made on Tuesday and Jacksonville was on, I mean, on Wednesday. And Jacksonville was Jacksonville on Thursday. Was on Thursday. Gotcha. They could not get that Wednesday taping on Jacksonville TV before Saturday, I believe. So it was always a week late. So Dusty and I, the booking, that was a booking mess up. I didn't make, it wasn't my booking. I'm not, I don't, I don't care. I'm not blaming the booker. But it was a mess up because they hadn't seen the angle yet. Well, the week before we went there, they'd had a two-ring battle royal with Andre the Giant, Dusty against somebody, a uh, top guy, and they drew, I don't know, like uh, maybe 24 grand. Dusty and I went there the week after, cold. I mean, nervous to mother underneath masters that had some drawing ability, but Dusty and I were cold. We do $1,000 less. Now, I was working in the office at the time, so uh, then... Uh, after the match with Dusty on Jacksonville, he left me laying again. I'm bleeding uh, pretty good uh, down to my chin, and I'm in a, this little small dressing room, like seeing if I can butterfly, you know, if I, am I going to have to go get sisters or butterfly this? And he comes in, he says, hey, baby, he says, hey, great house, huh? And I said, yeah, it's very good. He said, yeah, better than last week, right? And I said, well, actually, uh, she said, I said, it was down $1,000. How stupid, I was young. I said, oh, yeah, it was much better. But I said, no, actually it was down a 1,000. But, you know, this was a cold match. I said, it's a great. I said, this is a great, unbelievable that we were able to draw, you know. And he looked at me. And we were alone in there in this dressing room. He looked at me and he says, well, listen, man. He says, I'm in the big time. He said, if you can't measure up, I'll get somebody else. And he walked out of the dressing room. I just got had him run and smash me on TV. And just smash me in the house show, and he tells me that kind of crap. I never had any respect for him. Again, I'm sorry to speak about him when he's gone. But I told him that I told him this to his face when he was still alive. So I have I feel some redemption there. 
uh, you know, one time he's saying, hey, blah, blah, blah. I said, Dusty, I, I don't know how you expect me to respect you, you know. And uh, I said, you never would have been. You couldn't have done what you did by yourself. You had to have people to you know, reflect your glory off of. You had to have people to, you know, to make you who you were. And you treat them like they were lucky to work with you. I said, that wasn't the case. I said, you stole most of the heat I had every time I worked with you. But I said, that was right. I said, that was part of being in the business. But, but uh, yeah, and that kind of attitude, I thought he was psychotic myself. Um, if I had been, say, an Ole Anderson or uh, Steve Williams or David Schultz or somebody like that, I'd have shut that door in our dressing room and just wiped up that dressing room with it. I would have, I would have kicked his, I would have kicked his fat butt of one side down the other for talking to me with that level of disrespect. But I wasn't like that, you know. I just, always, I just talked it up to, hey, okay, this guy's a jerk. Uh, he's a psychotic. Uh, you know, this business is a work, and uh, you know, uh, we're we're convincing people. I mean, it was a great house, but he he had to be, uh, you know, he had some sort of unbelievable. I mean, he was on the last show too. Uh, he he wasn't wasn't it like he wasn't booked on that show with Andre the Giant. Uh, and, and so the fact that we drew just a thousand dollars less was miraculous. I mean, uh, most of it was attributed to him, but I mean, I had to have something to do with it. Sure. And uh, but I hated the matches because you couldn't get a hold, you couldn't tell a story. It was just and I, I love Jimmy Valentine. Same thing. Uh, they had the gimmick and they, you know, and because of the, because of their style, they had to work on their feet most of the time. Right. Buddy Rogers started the deal of doing hot spots because he didn't want to get back in when he started that there were, uh, guys would get holes and grind on holes for 15, 20 minutes. He didn't want to do that. He was blind, like bleached his hair. He was blonde. He, he, uh, looked great. He wanted to be on his feet. It's show business, baby. And he wanted to show, he wanted to show. His assets was what he presented when he was out there, and he wanted to show it. So he did all these high spots, which featured his agility and, and speed and size for uh, I mean for a guy his size. And uh, he started a whole new era. He started the high spot era. But uh, 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 but you know he you could work with him. I mean you, he would work a match where you go 20, 30. You couldn't go twenty minutes with Dusty Rhodes. No, I mean, how would you do it? I don't think anybody ever did. It's funny though, uh, it, Bob. I got to tell you, it's funny though, and I understand your sentiment. Uh, you know, and other there's been other uh, uh, you know uh, wrestlers from that era who have said similar sentiments. Uh, but it's it's funny. One of the you know he went on to uh, work in uh, different behind the scenes and different promotions. He had his own promotion. He worked uh, behind the scenes for WWE at, at the NXT training center. Uh, he worked uh, for TNA for a while. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard of them. They were on uh, spike TV out of yeah. Orlando. Yeah. And and every time I have, uh, we have a wrestler on that was uh, coming up in that era when he was behind the scenes or at the training center or whatever, they, they, we just had Tracy Brooks, who's uh, uh, who worked with Dusty and TNA, as they did a deal where she was his assistant on TV, and she was almost in tears talking about that. You know, he went to bat. She went. He went to bat for her on so many different things that that she, that he didn't have to do, and and how much you know how how supportive he was and help making sure she always got to speak and and teaching her how to cut a promo. So something happened. 
You know, uh, you know, age, age sometimes humbles you, as you know, something happened because, because, uh, because, uh, you know, everybody we talked to in the era where he was, uh, not no longer a competitor working behind the scenes is, is, is almost, uh, teary eyed talking about what a, uh, and I'm talking about out of 160 podcasts, probably 30, 40 people, uh, talking about how much of an impact that, uh, that 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 he had in their life and their career. So it's it's funny how things well, change. Let me add to that. Uh, I I'm, I let me add to that. Uh, I don't believe that um, I don't believe that people are evil. Uh, Dusty was uh, at the heights of his fame, and you know he had he had some uh, bumps in the road. He 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 destroyed Jim Crockett promotions and. Uh, and then he, he did have the behind the scenes job. The fact that he, he grew some humility and was willing to pass on his learning, his expertise and all that is to his credit. All right, that's, that was my hear. point. That was my point. I don't want to think that about anybody. What I do is I don't think about him at all. <laughs> but um, I'm glad now to be able to think about Dusty. And see, I hadn't heard any of that. Yeah. I hadn't heard anybody. I don't listen to many much about wrestling. I hadn't heard. I had heard people knocking him. I mean, he was a, he was a major, major superstar. He made people a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. I'm not knocking him. He was a great talent. It's just that um, personally, um, I felt like he disrespected me personally, and and uh, I I've gotten over it. I mean, not, but it was hard to it was hard to, for me to like and, and and respect people who didn't treat me the same way. Uh, if he was, he, he made it clear he was looking down at me yeah. and I didn't, you know, if I, you can look down up and down all you want, but we're on this together. If we're in a match together, you're going to need me there. You're going to look like I go out there by yourself and do it. Uh, what are you going to talk to him for 30 minutes? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, better so, than anybody, cause you were a booker an adjuration of, uh, of, of, of fans and the reaction that you get. Uh, you know, could do strange things to people's head. Hell, even at the height of WCW, uh, I was just a ring announcer, but you know, people would ask for my autograph or, uh, or, or take a picture with me. And, you know, I got a little full of myself, not like, you know, not, not, not anything horrible, yeah. but, but, you know, I got a little full of myself as well, you know, but, and then when it was over, it was like, that was one of the hardest things. It's like, it's over now and it really humbles you, you know, so you take me on a tiny scale and you make a times a zillion with a guy like, like Dusty or or a guy like Hogan and uh and 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 when it's not there anymore um yeah it it, it really could humble you. I guess you could go one of two ways with it. You could be bitter or you could uh you know uh, be humbled and and try to give back and I when I started doing the podcast I was surprised how emotional uh the guy people that had trained with Dusty and did promo class with him and and things that Dusty did for them uh in WWE that that he didn't have to do to go to bat for them I was I was I don't want to say surprised cuz I had heard murmurs but the level of uh, adoration uh I was I was taken aback by it as uh, as well so yeah it's a it's a good ending to a to a pretty amazing career and I appreciate you uh giving your two cents on it um hey uh well, I really go ahead I really, I'm glad you, t- I, I, I admire him for that too. I'm glad you told me because I, you know, there was, I did admire the guy. I mean, he was a, he was a great, he had, he did have charisma. He was a great talent and he was personally, he was funny. Uh, he was fun to be around, but, um, you know, when, what happened was what happened with all of them and including me, 
It's when ego gets involved and celebrity and fame makes Mr. Ego jump up and do push-ups every day and be in good shape running the marathons to where uh, Mr. Ego is making your decisions for you instead of your intellect and your sure. you know, your psychological emotional center. You're making it uh, this 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 uh, other side of you that's saying, hey, you're great, you're great. You can't do this. You can't take this. You're better than these people. Um, well, that happens to everybody, you know, and it's only learning to control that, that you can uh, stand to look at yourself in your own mind's eye or in the mirror, inside and outside, and not be disgusted with what you see. Yeah, a perfect, ex- uh, a perfect well, example... A, a, a perfect, sorry to interrupt, perfect example of that would be Billy Graham. Billy Graham, unfortunately, who was, I was a big fan of Billy Graham as I was at Dusty Rhodes uh, growing up, uh, if not bigger. He went in a different direction and he's still very bitter and, and about the business. And that's unfortunate because, uh, you know, he, he had such uh, charisma and, and talent on the microphone and, 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 and talent of how you present yourself, uh, to, to, uh, look, uh, like a professional wrestler that he could have passed on. And unfortunately he went the opposite way. So it's nice to hear that, that Dusty for the faults that he did have, uh, you know, in his career, uh, didn't go the way of Billy Graham, which, I have no animosity towards Billy Graham. It's just disappointing because, uh, uh, you know, you only live once. You want people to be happy, and he seems very unhappy. And part of that, I guess, is he has a lot of health problems. But, uh, but Well, yeah, that's the thing. And a lot of us, from um, my understanding, the rumors anyway, were from uh, abusing steroids. But uh, think about the philosophical uh, paradox that's created by someone who's bitter about a business they were in. And the only reason that their bitterness means anything is because of the business that they were in. Do you see the hypocrisy there? Yeah. I mean, I mean, if he hadn't been a big star as a pro wrestler, who would care whether he's bitter or not? There's a lot of bitter people. There's a lot of bitter people out there. Yeah, just go, cares. just go into a bar at about five or five yeah. thirty in the afternoon after work, and you yeah. can find a whole bunch of them uh, there for happy well, hour. Yeah, some guy who said, well, I worked 29, 29 years and, and uh, 11 months and 29 days for General Motors, and a day before my retirement was to kick in, they fired me, yeah, and sure. I don't get my retirement. That's the person who has the right to be bitter, yeah. um, you know, because they, they worked and they, they earned their retirement. Um, if you get, I knew, I knew early on. That I was, I'm bent over. I got arthritis. I'm fortunate. I'm very fortunate that I don't have pain. But both shoulders, uh, one hip already replaced, and I got another one that's going to need it. So I, that, you know, it's not a complaint. I'm so happy that they can do those surgeries now, and you can, they can fix you. Sure. But I knew I was going to be arthritic and kind of, you know, kind of creaky and all that, because you, you, if you dash, you're going to have to pay the piper whipped in the steel poles in your back, your shoulder and all that, that, you know, especially when you do it there, I only, I only had a 15 year career. I don't know how these guys want 35, 40 years. Well, I do know because they quit taking bumps and they quit, they quit getting run into the pole. They did walking and talking and psychological work the last 15 years of their career. But, uh, uh, yeah. So, uh, I'm, I'm, but I'm happy that, that, uh, I mean, I, happy that it's not worse than it is like uh there's a painful kind of arthritis that, you know i could be in pain all the time and and i'm not so i'm lucky um uh, silver lining 
Yeah, Very important. for sure. I'm glad to hear that, too. So you had a reputation and it was a sort of earned reputation, toward, not at the beginning of your career, but toward not, not even towards the end, but sort of the middle of your career of being a guy who would try to and tell me if you think I'm wrong. But I uh, t- 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 a guy who would try to steal a territory if you didn't think you were being treated fair as a booker or a worker. Uh, is that a fair assessment? Well, uh, it, the assessment is true, but the, the causation for it is not exactly correct. Uh, with Shires in California, uh, his fellow promoters uh, from Sacramento and San, and San Jose, and uh, they came to me. I had taken control for the first time of anybody out there as a booker. Shires had always been the booker, and I, I had taken the talent. I brought in some guys. Kevin Sullivan was one of them. Right. That were loyal to me. And when Roy, uh, Roy would cuss guys out, like you call them, I mean, horrible names. You stupid SOB. And I mean, he'd say it, though. And, I mean, these great big guys, little short, you know, Shire just looking at that old man, looking up at him, cussing him like a dog. But I wouldn't let him cuss uh, the town. You know, I said, I told him what to do. If you got a problem with it, talk to me. And, of course, he wasn't going to cuss me. And not because I was going to be his buddy, just I, you know, I, I don't know. I think I gave him the impression I wasn't going to take it. Never had to talk to him about it. But uh, the, after once it was clear I had control of the talent, the promoters came to me. And, you know, it was an intriguing idea about, oh my God, to own the San Francisco territory, to have a piece of it. And I, I enlisted uh, some of the top guys, but one of them I didn't know very well. And uh, he, he, he went to Roy. And uh, stood us off, and then and in, in uh, Knoxville, um, uh, uh, I there were some problems with with money, of, of money being not being. I was not getting paid what I was supposed to get paid, and I went to the you know I went to the the promoter uh, a couple times, and uh, I nothing nothing changed. It was still the shortage was still going on. You got to understand that business was fantastic, and we, you know, Ronnie Garvin and Malenko and myself, they were the two brains. I was, I guess, the trust. I trusted them to tell me good ideas. I would usually throw out crappy stuff, and they'd come up with just a way to cover it and do it better. We had these great things. These great the business was doing. We were we were doing really great. I'm not saying every seat was sold every week, but there weren't too many empty ones anywhere we went. So. Um, um, you know, I, uh, I, after twice, after being what I thought was stiff, um, as Booker, I was supposed to be getting a commission. Uh, I went to the promoter and, and, uh, uh, talked to him about it. And he, he, uh, just rebuffed me like, Oh, I, I can't believe that's happening. And I said, well, I watched your, your people still. Are you talking about Ron Fuller, the owner of the territory? Yeah. Ron Fuller was a book, was the uh, owner. Yeah. So that's and who so, you went to? Uh, yeah, I went to Ron uh, twice. I mean, I went once. He said, oh, I don't believe they're doing it. And, um, what I should have done was sort of filmed them doing it. But uh, he had a mother and daughter uh, uh, team selling tickets and some shows. The shows didn't have their own box office. Like they couldn't work in Knoxville at the, at the big Coliseum or, or the arena, but uh, on uh, Johnson City and, and other places, or, or any place that didn't have their own box office. Right. Uh, he had a mother, daughter. Uh, a mother was selling tickets, daughter was taking them. And uh, they would double sell tickets. 
So um, anyway, I was working on a percentage basis. My booking fee was based on a percentage. And, you know, under-reporting houses, if there was, to say, a $10,000 house that got reported at 7000 then I was not getting my commission on $3,000 for that house. Well, in a week's time, if you're talking about maybe $50,000, and I'm not getting my percentage on that, you're talking about some serious money. I'm getting built out of, say, 500 bucks a week. And I, I put up with it for a while, and then I just said, well, uh, I'm going to uh, I'm going to give my notice. And I told Malenko and Ronnie, they were, like I say, we were kind of the brain trust. And, uh, and Ronnie, uh, well, I'm not going to go into any more detail. Uh, let me put it this way. It, it, it was maybe in no way or in just very little way or maybe in some way my idea to go opposition. But let's put it this way. It wasn't entirely my idea. And I wasn't the first one to have it. Let's put it that way. I was going to leave. So that's the, all you had to do. Yeah, yeah. So the only reason that anybody knows about this in 2020 is because uh, you know everybody, you're on a podcast. Uh, everybody has a podcast and uh, and or social media account. And it seems like Ron has not let this go. He's for, he's forgiven everybody but uh, you. He's forgiven Ronnie Garvin and Malenko and Bob Orton. He seems to have not forgiven you and. Um, and 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 secondly, uh, so this, so this became a big uh, a topic of conversation on podcasts and message boards and social media about a year ago, and then a video came out that nobody knew existed. It was called Plan B. It was you guys, uh, Belinko and and Orton and Ronnie Garvin, a couple other guys, uh, and you basically. And if, if for those who are listening who who've never seen this, it's very, it's actually really interesting. It totally exposed the business way before anybody even knew who david schultz was uh on uh, uh or eddie mansfield was on uh 2020 sorry not david schultz eddie mansfield but um but it totally exposed the business and it promised a lot more of an expose so i i would suggest uh you know if you have 15 20 minutes to google it and check it out because it's very interesting um um, um do you even remember doing that? And what was your thought process uh, of, of why you recorded that? Obviously, if it didn't, I'm thinking plan B means if it didn't work, you were going to put the other promotion out of business and kill the business. Is that, was that the thought process? Well, yeah. And I've, I've seen on Facebook, I saw some critiques that said, I hope somebody said, I hope I fall down and break my hip or something, uh, which is kind of a reflection of my age, I guess, that we were trying to hurt the business. Well, yeah, in a sense, we were. But it was our only option. Once uh, again, a wrestler, he's dead now, so uh, maybe probably figured out that one of the wrestlers who was figured in as being one of the guys that was going to be a partner in this thing, we wanted to use Knoxville to start a, re- a union for pro wrestlers. They already had them in baseball, basketball, and football. And all those guys went from being uh, slaves to the owners to be, get, being millionaires who had, you know, had some discretion over their own careers. And so, you know, anybody who, what we were trying to do the same thing for pro wrestling, using Knoxville as a base. Um, but one of the wrestlers involved uh, did like the same thing with Shires, went to, uh, didn't go to Florida, went to Eddie Graham in Florida. Um, and he was down there with me at the same time that we had met with a union down there. I met with the uh, Siemens International Union down there, which is funny because SIU 
that was I went to Southern Illinois University. I thought it was coincidental because our initials were SIU. Well, Siemens International Union was also SIU. And I talked to, I don't know, one of the honchos and their union down there, you know, Tampa, uh, right there on the on Tampa Bay and the Gulf and all that. And uh, and they assured us that uh, any place that there was water, there was like a river, maybe even a big creek, um, that if you were unionized, then we could get other members of the union who would stand up and help us protest against being treated wrongly. In other words, the union would have we would have some strength of numbers. Right. Um, the union represented us legally and, and in court and everything else, and that's what we needed. And this guy who stooges us off went with me to this meeting, and I think as soon as I left, he went across the street. We weren't that far from the wrestling office in Tampa. I think he went across the street and, and told Daddy Graham. So by the time I got back to Knoxville, um, Ron Fuller knew about it, and uh, Things went kind of downhill from there, but uh, we we ended up splitting up anyway. Even though uh, you know they, and what happened? The reason we go getting back to Plan B. What happened was, uh, I think I'm not sure who exactly in Tennessee, but I think all the Tennessee promoters, maybe Jared and and Gulas and I don't know who else was over there, but certainly Jim Crockett and and Carolinas, uh, uh, Jim Barnett. Or whoever was running the land, the land office, I think it was Barnett and uh, Eddie Graham in Florida. They all combined to squash us. Correct. Uh, when we were running Knoxville shows, they would send in for an Oxford, big Knoxville show on, on Saturday night. Uh, you know, well, I mean, one show they had Andre, the NWA champion, and two, you know, running against our little show. Yeah. And we weren't at the Knoxville Coliseum anymore. We were some little. It wasn't that little. I mean, it would seat maybe 10,000. It was a little uh, amusement park type uh, stadium somewhere in town in Knoxville. I don't remember exactly the name of it, but uh, we didn't have TV. So we, you know, we were way behind and any chance to really, uh, you know, but we tried. We, we tried to be annoying and, uh, <laughs> you know, we were willing to just throw it in our, throw in a towel right away and just, because at that time, it was it, we were told that if you did that kind of thing, you were going to be blackballed. Right, right, right. And that was a threat we always used to scare the boys. Well, you know, if you've got talent, you can draw a dime. I don't care. I mean, they're talking about using Sam Shepard when he gets out. Charlie Manson had got out of prison while he was still alive. He could have gone into poor wrestling and made a fortune. <laughs> Think about it. <laughs> So you know, no, you're absolutely you're absolutely right, but it, that that did scare people from going opposition. And then, like you said, when they when in the South, like you said, when if somebody tried to go out send opposition, they would send their uh, their top star from each territory and and put on a all star extravaganza, you know, to 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 try to combat that. I think they did that to Ann Gunkel for a while in Georgia and and, and oh, yeah. different so. Um, so the promoter and me, uh, before we wrap this up and I wanted to get to the Iran story and more, but we're going to have to get you back, but I know you have a book coming out. So when that comes out, we'll get you back and you could tell that story and some, some more stuff to promote it. But, um, we got, a uh, we, we, we got, a uh, uh, legend, uh, CWF legends fan fest that I do with a guy named Barry Rose, who, you know, very well. And, um, hello. Yeah. Oh, yeah. sorry. I thought I lost you. And uh, 
And so we, uh, this is a shoot, guys. And you know, uh, I know people are going to think you know it's wrestling. It's uh, this is this is a, 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 an honest. What I'm about to tell you is the honest to God's truth on my family, and I wouldn't do that on my family. Uh, Barry has been able to talk with both you and more importantly because you were you never were you know for you it was like water under the you know not a big deal you weren't thinking about it anymore but ron obviously was still very upset upset with it and made his feelings known uh in a lot of ways and barry was able to convince ron and you as like i said ron more was more of the, the 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 challenge to do a debate that we're going to present on WrestleMania weekend at the old sport, not the old sport, I'm sorry, the old Tampa Ford Homer Hesterly Armory. Uh, you could go to Wrestle Expo, W-R-E-S-T-L-E-X-P-O.com uh, for all the information. It's part of uh, World Wrestling Network's Wrestling Wrestle Expo weekend. And um, you're going to debate... Uh, Ron, you've never so you've not talked to Ron Fuller in how many years? Twenty five, thirty years? Well, yeah, uh, no, more longer than that. Um, it would have been, uh, oh, geez, it would have been uh, uh, back in the late seventies. Yeah. So we're looking twenty, forty years. It's yeah. been forty years. Um, I, yeah, I was watching TV. Uh, I was clicking through the internet looking for something, and all of a sudden I see. Uh, Ron Fuller on there, I hear my name. So, you know, I was able to listen a little longer and he was talking about me. Uh, I, you know, I, I almost, you know, pinched myself to see I could, I can't believe <laughs> if I was awake, but he was saying some kind of nasty stuff about me. And, uh, I thought, why would, why would he be doing that all these years later? And so, uh, you know, I looked at, uh, actually I haven't looked at it anymore. My, I watched that one again. And I talked to Barry about it, and and uh, uh, I didn't care about doing anything about it. But um, I talked to Barry because, and with you too, uh, because he does have a podcast, and like you do, and and I said, oh, you know, I'd like to at least, you know, it's not just me. My but my name's Roop, but I have a son. I have two sons whose name is Roop. I have uh, two brothers and two sisters. Who have group in their name uh, with his sisters? Their married name has still got group in it, and uh, a bunch of grandchildren named Roop. And the Roop name is being uh, all over the internet is being talked about as this Bob Roop being this kind of a crumb bomb that was treacherous and stole and did this and whatever. I would, and I told Barry, and that's how you and I are talking about today. I told Barry, you know, I would love to have a forum to at least defend myself. You know, it's not just me. It's my good name. Uh, my, you know, in my day, I raised hell with the best of them. And I did some things, you know, I'm drugs and alcohol. I mean, nothing real serious. But, you know, I was raised, you don't get to be an Olympian if you're a druggie and a drunk. So, but, you know, I did some things that I was, you know, I, I was ashamed of. But once my children were born, my second family, I straightened up. I said, I, you know, you messed up once. You're not going to do it again. And so for 31 years now, I've been on straight and narrow. I'm not saying I'm perfect, but no drugs, no alcohol. I mean, well, alcohol a little bit, but not for 15 years. And so, you know, I have uh, uh, enough self-respect that 
um, I I think my name is a is, has a good name, and I want my children and my grandchildren also not to have anything being said about their name that I can't at least defend. And that's why I want to get together with Ron. I don't have any animosity towards him. I I would not put the guy who stews us off, the guy who stews us out in California. I don't think about those people because to give them room in your head, it's like putting cancer cells in there for your emotional welfare and your psychological welfare. I don't do that. I don't think, I just don't think about people. That's why I'm grateful again. You said you told me those good things about Dusty because I can remember the good things about Dusty. And I can feel much better. I can think of them with fondness, which is what I like to feel. Sure. But with with Ron, I'd like to just, I'd like to, I'd like to look at Ron and have him tell me those things to my face. And that's uh, gonna, and that's, mind. and that's gonna happen. It's gonna be a one time only event on uh, the Friday before. No, I'm sorry, uh, the Saturday before WrestleMania, and. Uh, and like I said, and and no bullshit, all bullshit aside, uh, this is a shoot. Uh, you know, we don't expect you. I hope we we don't expect you guys to to to, to get physical. Although I mean, anything no. anything could happen. But uh, but you guys have not spoken. Uh, so this is gonna this could be contemptuous. Are you ex- expecting that it might become a little contemptuous verbally? Well, I was just going to say, if I'm going to eviscerate anybody, I can do it verbally and psychologically <laughs> uh, and basically, basically by telling the truth or exposing untruth. Uh, when I see older wrestlers, uh, and you see it all, you're seeing, I've seen a lot of it now. These older guys come out there and get back in there doing stuff they did in their prime. Oh, my God, I'm so embarrassed for them. I mean, maybe they may they make money and all that, but gosh, guys. You know, you you have a legacy, and you know now you're just. It's like the same thing as Willie Mays playing baseball too long. You know, he was great in his prime, and the last part of his career, he batted about 200 and couldn't hardly run, and he still had a name. So, you know, I think he's been traded to the Mets, and uh, you know, it was sad to see him trying to uh, you know, go out there and play when he had lost his his, his his ability. And I, I hate to see it. I don't blame some of the guys who think they might need to do it for the money, but I hate to see it. I would never do anything physical. Um, well, now in today's age, uh, you're talking about lawsuits and all that kind of thing. Anyway, I'd never do anything physical against Ron unless he started it. <laughs> um, I but I don't, I mean, I defend myself, sure. uh, but I don't even want to do that because I still have to hire a lawyer, but I will. I mean, I'm not going to sit there and take it. Uh, I, but I don't. I don't carry animosity, and uh, I just. I I just want to ask Ron to say those things in my face, and then yeah. justify them. Yeah, I mean, okay, thing. In a perfect world, uh, you guys will have a knockdown, drag out discussion, and I underline discussion, and then be able to put it all behind you. And that's a perfect world. But, you know, uh, he holds a lot of animosity, as we know, and and and, and ego, as we've mentioned before, uh, is a is a strange thing. So uh, it should be interesting because literally, uh, while you both have agreed to do this and talk about it, honestly, other than that, there's 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 no script. <laughs> it's it, it is no. what it, it is what it is. So I'm looking forward to it. And um, and uh, uh 
I think uh, there's going to be a lot of buzz about it uh, based on the the Plan B video and 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 the the buzz that it got, uh, the original story got. So hey, I, I appreciate you taking your time. Uh, I, I wanted you to tell the story about uh, wrestling in Iran for Saddam Hussein. We'll use it as a tease and bring you back when the book is coming out. Are you taking pre-orders of the book? Well, I haven't yet. I, I, you know, I might think about it, but uh, uh, I have to learn more about that. I'm getting there. I'd like to have paperback uh, editions of it when I come to down to uh, be with you guys. Okay. So I'm getting close. All it's right. an e-book, and I can have uh, I can have copies made. Uh, well, I decided to market that way, and if a publisher wants to try to, uh, mark, you know, contact me or whatever, but I don't have an agent. I'm this is my story. I'm right now. I've been four, I've been four and a half years at it, um, but uh, I and it's Iraq with with Saddam. Iraq. Yeah, I'm sorry. Iraq. That's okay. He tried to murder. I didn't. Hey, I went over there without realizing it was being run by a murderous guy, homicidal maniac. I went over there without doing any research. So he, believe me, you, you're better off. I mean, you're not doing any harm by not knowing it. I, I was more ignorant by far by going there under those circumstances. Uh, but, uh, yeah, well, thanks for mentioning that, Dave. Yeah, uh, no problem. And yeah, when, when when it's ready for people to download, we'll have you come on and tell a little bit more of the story. We don't want to give it all away, but it it's a it's a pretty amazing thing. Uh, if it had happened in uh, you know 2019, you'd be on every television network, you know, as a uh, doing feature interviews. So, but uh, but it, you know, it's, it's it's a different world we live in. Hey, Bob, great catching up. I look forward to seeing you. I'm really excited about you and Ron being able to hash every thing out hopefully but at least be able to each have your say and 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 walk away and if any fans are interested like i said you go to wrestleexpo.com uh or the cwf legends fan fest uh facebook page and um and uh look forward to seeing you again and uh, best to your family and we'll have you back uh when the book is uh, ready to go all right hey thanks a lot thank uh, you one sir. last word about the, the thing with uh with with mr fuller yes sir there's going to have to be some some memory readjustment for everything to work out to hash out right. So I just want to say that we're not going. I'm not going in there uh, to agree that it's okay for me to be reviled. So Ryan's going to have to make some uh, some adjustments uh, to his story and admit that his memory is faulty at very best, or that he's lying at the very worst. Uh, <laughs> so. Uh, well, but we'll see. You know, I mean, again, it's one thing to say something when you never have any seen a guy. You might not know if he's still alive. That's another thing when the guy has to say it to your face. Sure. Um, and so, anyway, I appreciate you guys giving me the uh, chance to do that. And thank you very much for the day, Dave. Great catching up with an old friend and uh, mentor and uh, can begin to tell you again how much she taught, you know, riding down the roads with him was sort of like this podcast times a thousand and, and uh, promote different shows. And he taught me the the way to do things and the way not to do things in professional wrestling, especially if you're not a wrestler. And uh, again, opened a door that I was able to step through and live my dream. So really excited to have him on. Really, <laughs> I'm even more excited now for this uh, debate. It's going to be interesting. Like I said, it, it is what it is. They've never spoken. They will not speak. And I hope it goes good. I mean, it'll be good, but I hope it goes. I hope it doesn't get out of hand. But uh, that would be a shame. But um, it is uh, the Saturday of WrestleMania weekend at the former Fort Homer Hesley Armory part of Wrestle Expo. 
three thirty. Uh, you actually get a photo op with both guys as part of the package. So uh, uh, maybe we'll do that first before they start talking. So uh, just in case they uh, something happens or we'll have to put security in between them, I don't know. But uh, that'll be a rare photo op probably once in a lifetime. And a uh, two-hour debate and then autographs from each of the guys. So uh, looking forward to that. We also, as I've mentioned before, we have uh, Tales from the Armory on Thursday at 2.30. What an eclectic group. Abdullah the Butcher, Buddy Colt, who's a legend in Florida wrestling. Abdullah, who's a legend and in, in, in what he did in this business along with the Sheik, guys like the Sheik. Uh, Bugsy McGraw, uh, Ron Fuller will be on that panel as well and, and many others. So, uh, And then My Dance with the Devil. Kevin Sullivan will reunite with Meha Singh, Bob Roop after 30 years. They've never, they haven't seen each other since that angle took place. So uh, we invite you to go to WrestleExpo.com. You can click on CWF Fan Fest. It has all the information on all the events and um every event you get a picture with all the the participants and an autograph with each of the participants so it's a combination autograph photo op opportunity and we throw in a two to two and a half hour q a in there just for shits and giggles so that you could hear some of the stories uh and in this case you could hear Ron Fuller and Bob Roop finally hopefully settle their differences about Knoxville territory and the Plan B video. So I want to thank Bob again. I want to thank you guys for listening. If you don't follow me on Twitter, come and join the fun at David Penzer, all one word. So we hope to see you at WrestleMania weekend, but uh, and most importantly, we hope to have you right back here next week for more great storytelling and interviews and chats of wrestlers past, present, and future right here on City Ringside. Until next week, this is David Penzer, still City Ringside. Thank you very much. Follow David Penzer on Twitter at David Penzer. Also, make sure to follow the show on Twitter at Penzer Ringside. You've been sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. I'm Jerry Petock, CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast. There are a lot of people behind the scenes here at Radio Influence that work hard to keep you entertained day in and day out. If you'd like to get involved and advertise on this program, or you have some show ideas that you'd like to see us add to the Radio Influence family, please email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. We all have crazy schedules, so the fact that you took time out of your busy day to let us entertain you for a while means a lot. Without you, the listeners, we wouldn't exist. So thank you again for downloading and subscribing to this show. Don't forget to check out RadioInfluence.com to see what other shows we also have to offer. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com. <laughs>